You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. A kiss, as defined by Dan Webster, is something pleasing, a caress, a gentle touch. But there's another kiss that isn't in Webster's. Hey world, we're kids! Some critics say they don't make music, they just make noise. Yeah, kiss! Kiss implies the extreme in the theatrics on stage, utilizing fire and smoke and bizarre costumes and the ever-consistent, constant concealment of their true identities. Speaking of which, Kiss is going to have its own comic book soon. Take Kiss with you. It's fun. Show your friends and be the first. Now. And welcome once again to No Time to Turn, a Kiss Nerd podcast. Nerds. That's us. Joining me as always, I'm Russ. You're, I guess I'm the host. Yes. I'm the host with the most. Oh. Oh, (laughs) That's a lie. Um, (laughs) And as always, I'm joined by Cap and Alex. What's up, everybody? From the Something Good Network. Yo, yo. And check out the something. You need to check out a, a, the Something Good For You podcast. podcast and the uh, Couch Potatoes. And the Couch Potatoes. There's a uh, Kiss a kiss uh, referenced yeah. episode We're over there that's yeah. worth checking out. Yeah, 121. The, uh, near, the, near the tail end of 121, uh, we, we were actually in Nashville the same weekend as Creatures Fest. But you did not go. But we did not go. Spoiler alert. But, you know, we, we do talk about the outsider's perspective because I was watching it like crazy. Because what else are you going to do at the hotel well, after you, you go at home? You, and, you read the message boards. And you know, you know, it, it was going to it had the potential to be a giant train wreck. That's why I was watching Everyone it. Was, <laughs> Everyone it, It's like, seriously, at some point, the Kiss FAQ website, like the server crashed. There's, really? There's been a couple wow. times when like the servers wow. crashed over like crazy things. And yep, it was getting so much traffic it like white screened for a good couple hours. Oh wow! Oh yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's we will check out the something good for you episode. What number? Uh, I think it's one twenty one. One twenty one. If y'all are interested in hearing any of that, um, but in the uh, on the on the flip side, on the other hand, right here, right now, we're in the middle of the revenge cycle. We uh, covered the album Revenge last episode. If you haven't heard it, go back and give it a, a listen. Uh, see if oh, you yeah. agree or disagree. It caused a, I knew it would cause a little bit of a <laughs> reaction. <laughs> um, but we're going to talk about the uh, the Revenge tour and um, other other stuff that's going on in this this year. This is uh, we're into 1993. Um. Well, I guess is this it's all ninety three? Do we how far back do we go back? And well, actually, it goes back into the spring of ninety two when the yeah. album comes out, mm-hmm. right? So because we because we mentioned that uh, they kind of started off doing a handful of those small little club they do dates. the club dates. Uh, their mm-hmm. manager Larry Mazur has decided to do a promotional tour, and I think I mentioned this in the last episode. I can't remember. It's a good recap. I don't see again how this doesn't risk signaling to promoters that Kiss aren't now club level. That's that. That's got. That's got to be a risk. Well, did, if you go and do club shows, you know, that's always the seems like a death nail. It's like, oh, we're going to do special club shows. Well, the idea of it was supposed to be like a warm up tour or something like that, right? Uh, yeah, I, I get it. I understand that. But uh, from a from a promoter perspective, I might see that and go, oh, well, 
that. You know, there, there has to be a healthy cynicism that looks at that and goes, oh, yeah, special club tour, whatever, you know? I'm sure there was a sentiment of that somewhere along the lines, but I don't know. Maybe at the same time, oh, and maybe because I'm in this mind frame because of what they do within the next couple of years, maybe they're putting it out there as like an intimate touch with the fans before they do oh, the that, big I, thing. All that's ostensibly what that is yeah i'm just saying from a per- again from oh, a yeah, promoter, no, I get that. promoter perspective you run that risk of just a, you know looking like okay it's a step backwards yeah uh and they're they're always very careful to not give up their arena rock status um it's interesting that the uh, set list on these shows um uh, a lot of classic largely or makeup era songs which mm-hmm. they had largely eschewed is that the word eschewed am i saying that yeah. right <laughs> somebody somewhere is going that's not how it's said <laughs> it's uh, a kiss podcast what do you expect we're <laughs> uh, so the songs they just like uh, the you know all through the make non-makeup era they had tried to skew the set list to non-makeup era music mm-hmm. now suddenly you start seeing the ro- rotating back towards the what i would call the classic kiss um, they go to Europe in May again. This is '92. I said '93. I was wrong. Uh, using a scaled down version of the Hot in the Shade stage, mm-hmm. and all of this is, and it's also in smaller venues. And all right. this allegedly for promotion. Like, like for instance, uh, one is at uh, on May second at Center Stage Theater in Atlanta. Okay, and Cap, you and I have walked past Center Stage before. Oh man, I I couldn't tell you where it is right now. It's, the top it's of my pretty head. close to downtown. Center, oh, Center Stage is it's larger than a club. Have you been there? Have yeah. you ever been there? Yeah. Okay. It's, 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 it's theater size. It's theater size. But but still, imagining. Well, actually, you know, I don't know what the capacity is in that room. It's probably not that great. I saw uh, Ace Frehley. Play it there says uh, reported audience uh, eleven hundred sold out. Okay. Well, okay. There, yeah. Well, that's pretty yeah, good for a theater. Still kind of club size, but yeah. yeah. But, what but it has like arena style seating, mm-hmm. okay. And then it kind of with a with a stage on one end. But yeah, that just hit me. I saw it. I was looking at the dates, and I just saw that. I was like, oh shit! I've walked past that place a few times, and I've been in there. That's weird. Imagining <laughs> Kiss being there. Mm. And initially, there's no real plan for a tour. The tour doesn't begin for another full four a full four months jesus say that five times fast four times fast three times fast even (laughs) just say it at all russ full four months there we go after the release of the album so uh at that point the album's not even charting anymore Mm -mm. what's with kids lately or in this time period where they're just kind of starting their tours like immediately after like the hype for their releases or just like i think they're wait it's a playing it's a wait and see game is it is there is there interest from the promoters is the money on the table can they afford to go do a tour right which we you know we saw after the elder that wasn't they weren't even they didn't even do a tour they almost didn't do tour for crazy nights we talked about that in the crazy nights episode there was no you know it took them it was, it was like a good six few months, months yeah. you know um and same with hot in the shade you know it's 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 kind of bizarre they're they're playing they're, you know they're hedging their bets mm-hmm. they're not going out and actively promoting um so it kind of makes you wonder how much faith they have in their own material and i can remember at this time personally thinking that they, they were they were winding down to the end right and i thought honestly that you know what you know the 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 question was well what what's going to happen to them when it's over 
And I thought, well, Paul will go on and be the next Michael Bolton. <laughs> And and I you know I'm I've honestly thought that and uh, you know Gene will go on and be some sort of player in the music business somewhere you right. know behind running behind the scenes A and R or whatever you know and the other guys will go Gene on and behind be, the scenes yeah <laughs> I mean he would be never I, I, I could see him being like you An know I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, yeah I could see him being like um, I wouldn't have known the name at the time but uh, in the movie business there was this power player he was the president of paramount movies for a long time and they went into independent production his name was robert evans he's oh. a legendary guy mm-hmm. and he but he's very out there he was always right. you know he's he was as much of a celebrity in his own right as a lot of what he did they made a cartoon about that guy yeah, even, yeah 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 what was it called kid kid notorious kid I notorious remember. yeah yeah him and slash getting into shenanigans yeah. and there's a great documentary on him called the kid stays in the picture Mm-hmm. Anyway, you and if you watch it, you will see immediately the parallels between Robert Evans and Gene Simmons. <laughs> yeah, I can um, see that. Uh, I have July. Is it July '92 that the Extreme Close Up Home Video comes out? Um, you know, of all the dates that I had pulled up <laughs> in different tabs, I didn't have when that was actually fully released, but I do know that it was at the um, beginning of the. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty tour sure cycle. it's July of '92. And, um, you know, this, this is sort of a history of kiss home video. It's probably arguably, I guess it depends on your take, but it kind of picks up the strength from kiss exposed where the, the, you know, we talked about how the best parts are when they were sitting and talking about their history, mm-hmm. you know, and it wasn't the comedic bits. This kind of takes it to that level. It's it's the guys talking about the history of the band, and the overwhelming majority of the clips on this are from the makeup era. Exactly. And there's a, a, a quote from that doc that was very interesting from Paul that he uh, when they talk about their past, he says that we're real proud of our past, and we want to live up to it, but we have no intention on living on it. Yeah. <laughs> well, oh, how exactly, the tides what do you change. Mean? That's exactly what they're doing at this point. I mean, and they know. They know. They have to know. It's like they're looking at things in hindsight going, okay, there's the A period, and then there's the B period. You yeah. tell me which is which. And I know there's people out there that love that make that non makeup stuff, the eighty stuff, but that wouldn't have existed at all. That mm-hmm. band would never have gotten a record contract, probably. And if they did, they wouldn't have done any better. And the only reason why we're even talking about it now is because of the A period, which is the original Kiss period. And at, That's and at, right. And at this point, this current lineup is finally at a point where it can be barely sustainable. Well, it's barely sustainable now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was hardly ever. I mean, this whole non makeup era has not been successful and people will always go, Oh, well, they sold millions of records. It had sold out shows. They had a handful of sold out shows <laughs> across a bunch of these. We've talked about this. I mean, the information's out there. Look it up yourself. These records, they kind of, yeah, they sold, they might've sold platinum records, but Again, they were shooting for the moon here. They were, they're looking at their contemporaries all selling anywhere from 6 to 12 million easy every time. The glass ceiling had shattered. So for Kiss to sell a million copies really wasn't that impressive. No. You know, if you weren't doing, you know, 6 and 12 million copies, Bon Jovi, Guns and Ro- Guns and Roses is a brand new yeah. friggin' band. Cinderella, their manager's other band, um you know, we've we've talked about this. These bands are just, you know, 
Bon Jovi, Motley Crue, whatever. Mm-hmm. But like back to like the club tours, how were those numbers? Or uh, we're gonna get. I'm into sure that? they did. I'm sure they did. Well, I don't. I didn't. You know what? I didn't even pull the numbers. I'm sure those were packed. I mean, I can't see them not being. I mean, that's an easy. That was shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah. With like, especially with the the makeup material, like we were bringing <laughs> yeah. up, since they relied heavily on that. That would have been pretty- yeah. Look, looking at some of the club dates, it, it seemed like they varied anywhere between the as small as the eleven hundred for the Atlanta, and then I saw some as like five and six thousand, and most of them said sold out for the club dates. Yeah, well, there's no club that holds. I mean, five six thousand. That's basically what they draw on this whole reunion tour. Or, yeah, no, revenge, uh, tour. revenge tour. Yeah. But uh, but just to actually cycle back real quick to the uh, the extreme close up, it is pretty interesting um like you said released july 14th 1992 the actual record released may 19th so between may 19th and july they actually had three full music videos recorded and put on this Mm -hmm. because they had the uh the unholy video they also had all the revenge videos well, they, I just no, not all of them. Oh, because uh, it didn't have every time I look with oh, you, right, and it right. also didn't have Domino. Okay. Oh, deserve. Oh, yeah, that's right. We talked about that video for Domino. See, that shows how disconnected I was even then. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Uh, so two music videos. So they had two music videos in the ready, and uh, they basically sandwiched that together in this uh, extreme close-up video that starts with Unholy, and the very last video to play is uh, I Just Wanna. So yeah, they made a video. Yeah, for okay. That. But. I really enjoyed this because I, I kind of mentioned this uh, off mic, but we are now actually in my second favorite era right. of the band. And you kind of said it was like really has to do with when you grew up as a Kiss fan, which is true. I was born September 92. So right. like basically everything around this period onward mom was buying brand new so i was literally as a child hearing this stuff brand new so like in a weird way it just tickles like that weird like yeah. early early right. childhood right. memory this is your nostalgia in a way yeah no, it's not in a way it is it's your nostalgia <laughs> well because she didn't have this tape until later on right. and this was one of the first ones we were able to find outside of the second coming it- one it it still gave you a healthy dose of the original stuff. It's the first time I saw the music video for Sure Know Something, mm-hmm. which at that point, now I was sitting here going, well, how does it start? Because they start that video midway through. Because Paul's talking. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah. then all of a sudden you it hear, da-da-da-da, yeah. So, yeah, it starts on the first chorus. So, I never saw, like, the first one-fourth of that music video for, like, half of my life. Because that's all I had as a reference point. But then again, you had really cool stuff from 76, 77, 78. Um, and then it was also cool because they had the Love Em, Leave Em, and Hard Luck Woman music videos from the 70s. Mm-hmm. And that didn't get a whole lot of discussion yeah. or circulation around that time. Well, I mean, when that home video came out, you know, the, I was already out of school at this point. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, my friends, we all wanted to see it. For those videos with the um, you know with the makeup stuff, right? That's that was the whole appeal of it. Um, you no. know, the rest of it, you know, it was like fast forward, fast forward. I don't know. I like watching kind of the uh, the interview portions. Yeah, the interviews, I was going to say the, the interviews, are, interviews are cool. Especially, yeah, they're cool, but especially because you know, like Eric Singer just talks so much shit. <laughs> I well, love watching him I, interact yeah, with Paul and Gene. <laughs> well, no, that's confidential. Uh, oh, but. Which one? Oh, oh interact, interacting we're with talk, each other. We're talking about extreme close-up. Okay. Yeah. 
thought we did like keep the episode, up, man. Well, I thought we did. We talked about that too, but also no, we haven't point. discussed that at all. Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> so I watched that one a while back, thinking we were going to do an episode on that. But yeah, that, but they, the, but that gets do, released at the end do of the, the cycle. interviews. The thing that I remember about those interviews is, you know, Paul has the classic line about you listen to Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, not me. <laughs> And he's just so stoic, you know. And and Gene is talking like he's like he's trying to look like he's like this, you know. He's talking about Kiss, you know, from yeah. the street. It had the attitude, and I'm just like, dude, you're fucking, you're middle class. You're from a suburban neighborhood, mm-hmm. you know. That whole thing was hard sell for us. We had already, like I said, it's hard for us to, it's hard for me to judge this stuff fairly because I was already past it to a point and my cynicism was full blown and I was just looking at him. It was just like, Oh my God, stop talking. You know? <laughs> yeah. Because honestly, without all the extra that you had growing up, all I had was the second coming tapes, mm-hmm. which really kind of glossed over the beginning. Cause they really just wanted to focus on the reunion, reunion tour yeah. in- info. And then eventually mom and I found the, these two tapes mm-hmm. side by side and then they hadn't really done any sort of announcements for the farewell tour because I remember that announcement. Yeah. Um, well, that was 96. Or 99. That was in the late 2000s was the farewell tour. It was 2001, I think. No, it was 99, 2000. Two thousand for sure. Honestly, I remember two. Th- yeah, I think either way. You know, you know, it's yeah. pretty sad that it's so it's so insignificant that we can't I remember what it is. <laughs> either way, uh, the the quote unquote farewell. Tour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Either way, I remember when that was happening, and so they weren't doing any of the VH1 behind the music retrospectives because as soon as they announced the farewell tour, that's when the TV documentary started really coming out and with a lot more information of the history of the band. Well, so extreme close up is all I had yeah. for the history, and, well, and they. But exact narrative it it, it it presents the ki- the established kiss narrative you know which is equal parts truth and fiction well i ate which it is, full hog well, even though but you You're didn't is what to. i was saying yeah. because i didn't have all the back end it's like the kids growing up today with the prequels or the sequel trilogy yeah. for star wars it's like they have a certain grasp on something that we didn't understand this was my gospel growing right, up. Right. So well, that's, like, and that's the whole, but that was the whole intent of that is to establish mm-hmm. that as the gospel. Right. You know, they, it's, it's, which is right and fair. If you're telling your own stories, you know, Charles Bukowski, Hey man, I'm the hero of all my shit. Because I legend, think, right? <laughs> well, I think even on an important note, I think a lot of the things they kept repeating throughout the years kind of started here. Like the ace showing up with one red sneaker, one yeah. orange sneaker, um, that probably is true and all that. That's to me, stuff like that is endearing and that's part of the color oh, of is. the story. But you also but have to realize they into, are creating a story. Well, of course. So it's the first time they've written that passage of right. the story. But I, I'm okay with that. Where I get sideways is when they start trying to act like they were like your jeans trying to act like he was some sort of tough street ruffian and, well, yeah. or, you know that's kind of corny and then mm-hmm. when they start shitting on ace and peter which may be rightly deserved but i'm kind of like you know i'm from the pro wrestling school of kayfabe it's like man don't you know keep that in house well yeah. it is extreme close-up so i mean it's supposed no, to be kind of like a revealing just, look of the I, band I, I, I tell you that's the other thing i remember from that video most is uh they talk about the breakdown of the original band and there's a and this is fair because there's some video and they're walking to the stage from the backstage and it's like you know paul comes out 
the ace comes out and they're kind of looking up and you can you know, the the camera is from high above kind of right and gene is leading peter by the hand and peter is completely out of it yeah. he's literally leading him by the hand and peter just looks like a sulking little kid yeah you know it's almost like his dad's like come on now billy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. let's go let's go play our rock and roll oh, it's and i can only imagine what that that set must have been like because you know there were some bad shows on the dynasty tour and it like i said that that criticism that paul and gene have is probably well deserved you know of the other two but i'm sure like but you, i don't want to hear about it well, no, it was tiresome. directed by bill bowman and produced by chuck mitchell so one of the two of them probably had to have picked that stock footage to put there well <laughs> yeah i mean it's it, it's it's it, it's actually the the extreme close-up video is actually really well made no i love it it's to me i like it way better than the exposed home video even though i think some of the make not or the makeup era stuff that they chose for the exposed was better than some of the, what's in this because there's not full clips in this and there's i think there's some uh, but there's, there's a good bit, there's a like, good bit but there's stuff that you're, you're you know it left you wanting more oh absolutely they, they did definitely kind of like weave the right. conversations in and out which is also what kind of made it a cool narrative because maybe you would get like three-fourths of like let me go rock and roll yeah. but then by the time they're you know kind of wrapping up the solo you'll have paul you know boosting in you know and yeah. ace would not come in to- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that comes out right at, at the at the you know at the uh well, before the Revenge Tour starts. Yeah, right before the tour. So they've got the album and now this home video. Which is also interesting to note. Maybe they did this because they waited so long to do a tour for the record. Because 92, early 90s, especially in the late 80s, VHS players, the middle and upper class were already kind of purchasing. And then I'd say maybe by the mid-90s, even lower class families were able oh, to yeah. really yeah. afford. Yeah. The like The technology market, the was... The video market was huge. So they're it, just touring to sell a VHS. <laughs> it was certified platinum. Yeah, but so, yeah. What, was, what is platinum for VHS sales? Oh, you got me there. You know, that's not the same as record sales. But I'm sure it was. Probably, I, I, I mean, my it, pause it, wasn't me sitting. You're going. Well, you move. Well, I was seeing if I could actually see right. exactly well, how many copies here, were here's sold. Here's the reason why I asked this. And that you know that is something we should look up. Maybe we'll have this I, for the next episode. But that's interesting, though. If 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 platinum is you know uh, five hundred thousand sold for video, yeah, that would be gold for a record, right? But if they haven't gone gold on Revenge, which they, I think, I think it has since. I, I can't remember. We discussed that on the well, last episode. But think about that. This home video sold as many copies as their record did, which usually is not the case. Which just goes goes to show that there's more of an audience for this. I would say for the non for the makeup stuff. I was about than they are to say a lot of like but old I, Kiss fans are buying. But these. I don't know that I don't know that that five hundred thousand is is the right number for this video. Right. So. Well, I imagine it's still not a small number by any means. No. I mean, the only thing I'm able to pull up is platinum is still one million yeah. for a video. Yeah. Well then, if that's true, they saw they way outsold the, the, the latest album. album. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this, th- this is at least what I'm seeing there. Yeah, I mean, it may well be true. Then that must be it. 
He's looked it up. I mean, someone else might can correct us, but yeah. if that if that's accurate, then this this home video blew the hell out of revenge. Huh, which, that's crazy. Which does it's not crazy. Well, it's not cr- yeah, it but. totally <laughs> makes sense. Which just goes to prove my point that the revenge was not a comeback album of any sort. And if anything, what was the comeback? This home video. Yeah. Because you and, got people talking about classic not kiss surprise, again, and 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 that's gonna we're going to see. There's going to be a concentrated movement towards that, you know, towards that reflection. Does that make sense? I was yeah. say so the seeds were planted, like you know, with Gene and Paul putting on the makeup and well, the one doing, video and little things here and there. I, I, I don't even know that they're planting the seeds. I don't think they have a whether it's intentional plan, or not. But I know that it seems like they're so desperate to kind of keep to maintain their relevance, and they're realizing that their relevance only exists in the context of the original four with full makeup and costume. And that drives the fans of the non of the non makeup area crazy for me to say that, but it's just a fact. You can't deny it. This band, I, you know, I, they would, they would never have any of the attention that they got had they not had that foundation to jump off of. Otherwise they would be just in the also ran, you know, if, even if they had gotten a record deal selling the numbers that they sold with the arenas that, you know, with the, the tours that they had, they would have been in the also ran. They just would, they would not, we still, you know, again, uh, we talk about their contemporaries being so much more successful, not just more successful, so much more successful. Kiss weren't even a blip on that radar. And I'm sure. And fans- actually, side note to even kind of work on that. I'm, I'm jumping between tabs, really looking up different, like numbers of things. Uh, yeah. It says right here, uh, the group, uh, back uh, though it failed to re-establish the group back into the mainstream and its sales were equal or less to its predecessors, ultimately only being certified gold on July 20th, 92. So it only went gold. Right. Revenge. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure folks were going to see Kiss, you know, not excited about new material at all. They're going there to hear rock and roll all night or Deuce and these classic songs. Well, they're going to hear now stuff like Love Gun and I Stole Your Love and uh, I Was Made for Loving You and Parasite. A whole bunch of stuff that you were never... Watching you. Watching you and Parasite? Like, whoa. Watching you, I'm surprised they were pulling that one out. Yeah. You know, I think they're gauging the fact that they have this hardcore fan base that exists, that grew up from, you know, that were my age, basically. Mm-hmm. You know, people that were now in their early mid-20s that had been, you know, young preteens probably in 78, 79. You know, that was their little, you know, that's where KISS had planted the fan base for their long-term success, not even realizing that was what they were doing, which is part of the reason why I always counter that they could have maintained the makeup persona going forward. You know, I, you know, that's, that's open for a lot more debate, but yeah, but they didn't. Anyway, the first day of the the first date of the revenge tour is in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, on September thirtieth. Like we said, this is many months after the album is already and this, charted and, and this gone. is the first club date or the first. No, this re- is the first. No, re- this is a rehearsal date, September thirtieth. Okay, is it a rehearsal? Okay, well, what? Yeah, what? Stabler Arena, October first. Okay, or the Stabler Stabler. E makes the A say the name. Well, the attendance, okay. the yeah. attendance average on this whole tour is about five grand a night, which is not 
No. It's, this is actually worse With than the opening hot. acts, Faster Pussycat and Trickster. And those are kind of like the B-level like Which, groups of the time. Even then, yeah. And even then, it's like, this is 1992. The grunge thing is like yeah. starting to pop. What is going to be the appeal of Trickster, Pussycat, <laughs> and Trickster? And that's not a... I'm not shitting on those bands. I'm just saying in that era, it's just is what it is. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. That's, um, that's the era of like Pearl Jam and Nirvana at their peak. The first possible sellout of this tour was on October 14th at the Civic Center in Charleston, West Virginia. But it was in a scaled back arena setup with only 4,000 seats put on sale. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> you know, they, they anyone that probably, that I think anyone that's been to an arena show understands what the scaled back is with the drapes. They drape out half the arena. Mm-hmm. Or they'll drape out the second level kind of thing. Yeah. You know, who, that's where else had a pretty common thing, and they just don't put those seats on for sale. So you can technically still have a sellout, even though you haven't completely sold the building out. Does you, that make sense? You yeah. know, another place that was, that was set at a half house? Charlotte. Charlotte Carlson. Yeah, we'll get there. Uh, but before, we'll do... Uh, I think it's interesting that on October 21st, they had a date set for the Freedom Hall in Johnson City, Tennessee, which is a staple of the old Southern Tour circuit. And um, the t- the sales are so poor that the promoter moves the show to the Viking Hall in nearby Bristol. Wow. Which is a high school basketball arena. And they and the final tally of attendance for that was twenty five hundred. Have you ever been to Johnson City, Tennessee? Yeah, but I mean that was that was like I said that was a that was a stronghold for that Southern Tour circuit. That's not a it's not a big arena, but it's not a small arena. But I think you can get ten thousand people in that room. It was probably big in like the seventies too. With yeah, like that's what a, I'm saying. Yeah. All through the seventies, a lot of bands played there. Mm-hmm. Um, on October twenty third, they are in Charlotte at the old new old Coliseum, <laughs> which anyone that doesn't know what I'm talking yeah. about, I'm not even going to try to explain it. That's but, a whole other podcast, huh? <laughs> uh, they, the half house setup is set up for 10,000. That, that room, that room that it doesn't exist anymore, but that arena had the indoor attendance record. Def Leppard did 23,000 in that place. And I think that record still stands. Wow. Because I don't think there's an arena in, in North Carolina that can do that anymore. But that was Def Leppard in, when they had the stage in the round, you know, in the center. The, mm-hmm. the snake pit. Yeah, whatever. It's, it, they, I think Metallica does that, too. Well, they, no, it's just like it was just a stage, right? It was oh, set up in the middle. Yeah. And uh, they, again, 20, but here they've got it draped off 10,000. Um, they draw 4,700. But. You know, so they only, it, need, it, they it, only it, needed a fourth. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's no the fu- one. That's the just, messed up thing. If you really did that quick math, it's like they only filled up a fourth of that space. I, this was the first. Well, I told you after the Hot in the Shade tour, I walked out saying, "I'm never going to go see him again." Right. And I didn't go. Yeah. <laughs> I, I had the chance. Everybody I knew went. A friend of ours named Eddie, we all know and love. Like, loves to tell the story of going to see it and how terrible he thought it was. Oh my god! I would you love know, to he's hear. like, dude, the guy, the drummer, the blonde drummer guy, he's wearing a mirrored ball, you know, army uh, hat, army helmet, yes, and playing <laughs> harmonica. And it's just like, what? You know, <laughs> it's I get it, but it's still, you know, and it's just. 
you know, whatever. He's talking about Paul talking, going into Love Gun, talking about his Uzi of Uz. Oh, yeah, I've heard that <laughs> you know? from and other like, folks, too. It, it, you you got to realize you're selling this to a bunch of jaded fucking 24-year-olds that, you know, are like, hey, this isn't cool, us, man. This is just Spinal Tap. October 27th, Fayetteville, North Carolina. Another staple of the old Southern Tour circuit. Canceled. Jackson, Mississippi. Canceled. From lack of sales. They pick up, yeah, they pick up uh, St. Joseph, Missouri, where Paul takes ill and Gene tries to cover on vocals. And the show is, in Bruce Kulick's words, quote unquote, a total disaster. November 12th, Memphis is a sold out show. (laughs) But Paul is sick and Kiss doesn't play. Damn. What? The other bands play. Trickster Which is and- Great White and Trickster at this point. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, well, that's an upgrade. Great White trading off of a cover of an Ian Hunter song. Mm-hmm. And Trickster trading off of... I couldn't tell you one Trickster nothing. song. <laughs> I love that. Nothing. Yeah. There's no word on any money back demands if, if there were any. Uh, November 27th. Now, this is where the rubber finally hits the road for them. They return to Detroit. Detroit loves them some Kiss. Oh, yeah. Still loves Kiss. And they sell out the Palace of Auburn Hills. And that's on a video. And Abby Kramer is recorded to record the show, which is also professionally filmed. And all this is later released as a live three in the Kiss Confidential Home okay. video, which mm-hmm. we'll get to here momentarily. Let's go ahead and get through the rest of these dates. Is that cool with y'all? Yes, sir. Yeah. Well, one thing to uh, mention though, especially when we get to a live three, which is the kind of the meat of this episode, um, mainly because we did episodes on a live and a live two. We got to do it here. Uh, they also recorded the sound check here where they recorded creatures of the night twice. Deuce. Mm. I just want twice. Unholy parasite. Heavens on fire. Domino watching you twice. Higher than hell twice. And firehouse once. That, that, that's not a sound check. That's a whole full another set. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot. Yeah. So well, just, the, just kind okay. of well, make yeah, note of that. Yeah. Cause I want to come back to that. Uh, they've got strong attendance in the Midwest and all their old strongholds, Indianapolis, Cleveland, uh, however, December 2nd, Green Bay, canceled. The date was picked up in Madison, Madison, Wisconsin, and the attendance is only 2,000. Uh, December 7th, Casper, Wyoming, canceled. canceled. December 13th, Spokane, Washington, canceled. canceled. God. Uh, December 16th, Sacramento, Sacramento, California. There's no attendance figures reported, but according to uh, Derek, Sh- I can't say this guy's name, Sherinian. Oh, the keyboard player? He's playing keyboards. He's their auxiliary guy, singing yeah. backups and keyboards. This is before they had, you know, now everything's pre recorded. They right. got it, you know. But back then they had a guy backstage playing samples and singing backup. Mm-hmm. But uh, according to him, the quote is there's just no people there. And Paul turns his raps into jokes about the lack of attendance, directly talking to the sound engineer. <laughs> How are you doing tonight? <laughs> and well, there's some notes on this. Uh, apparently, an excellent audience recording circulates from this show. Oh wow! Well, so that would actually be very interesting if, to if, hear. If, now, now this might—that's provided that the information isn't a confluence of different. Yeah, but I. Uh, it might still kind of lead to it because at least on a kissconcerthistory.com, which is an offshoot of the FAQ, uh, it says reported audience 
roughly 5,000 at a uh, 13,000 capacity. Yeah. Well, Woof. You know. Uh, so that, that, that would be credence is, to uh, what they were saying. Yeah. This, this, this tour has just been... Sounds awful. It's, it's not been good. <laughs> the final show of the tour is, this, is December 20th. In Phoenix, Arizona. Merry Christmas to us. Yeah. Uh, again, it was scaled down for seven thousand, and from a, from a, the venue's capacity was eighteen thousand. They scale it down to a seven thousand. They draw thirty seven hundred. Thank you. For and which good night, Phoenix? Yeah, December twentieth. Okay. What? Well, at least here it says that, reported audience. Oh no, sorry, twenty thousand capacity. Yeah. Never mind. I was about um, to say, no, they got a big show there. But no. no. Uh, coming <laughs> so off much. of this. They, I wanted to help them. <laughs> they, they did have the big shows in Detroit, and they recorded what becomes a live three in Kiss Confidential. Which which of these come out first, do you know? Uh, let's go ahead and get mm. that pulled up here. Or did they I've come out simultaneously? Here. Confidential came out August 16th, 93. And then... Okay, so it kind of it took them a full year to get the confidential release. It didn't come out till the following year, August sixteenth, ninety three. So when's the live threes release date? Because I don't have that here in front of me. Yeah, I do. May eighteenth of ninety three. I'm sorry. Yeah. So a live three comes out first, and then confidential. Okay. So a live three is largely recorded in Detroit, with additional material culled from the Cleveland and Indianapolis shows. And from what I got, well, like what you just said, a lot of it was actually recorded in soundcheck. Yeah. Um, Tears of Falling was also recorded and not used, and it was only added so they could record it. It wasn't part of their regular set list on this tour. Um, and that's not unlike a live two, right? That all those uh, soundcheck tracks that they kind of took yeah. and put in a live two. Well, but this seems like it's more excessive. Then that's the question I have going into this album: is how much of this is actually live, and how much of it was studio enhanced. Oh, man. and I, and it's not that there's any guilt in that because we, you know, going all the way back to a live, a lot of it was studio enhanced. But to me, listening to this, it doesn't sound very live. Does that make sense? There's, or if it does, it sounds almost like it's almost pulled off of a soundboard. It's yeah. Like a, it, it doesn't have any of the ambient quality of a live album. Especially when you hear transitions, like when uh, Paul does that beginning rap at, uh, on Heaven's on Fire, where you hear the quality of the vocal just shift between mm. his rap and the beginning of the song. Yeah, I mean, so... It, Again, liking this era, I have just out of just pure like enjoyment listened to a whole lot of bootlegs from this era. There is definitely doctoring, but I would say again, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but I was gonna say to the amount I feel that the original Alive was oh, like yeah. I almost feel like Alive Two might be a little bit more manufactured. I feel like they kind of took the thing of at least using a lot of Eric's drum tracks. And redoing a little guitar and like completely redoing all vocals. Yeah, every, vocal, every yeah. vocal on a live three has to be redone. Those no, vo- none those of the vocals on that live tr- uh, here's, tour here's, was that strong. No, because they're pretty strong on the live record for sure, especially the harmonies. I oh yeah, to, I listened to this. I actually listened to this twice, and you know, oh, and, wow. I, and I wanted, but I was trying to be as objective about this as I could because, like I said, I don't know if I can fairly judge this. In, in, after I had already turned the corner on it, but I, I do remember hearing this when it came out, and um, 
I, I have a clear memory of where I was and what I was doing listening listening to this. And it did it left a negative impression at the time. And I wanted to see, you know, I wanted to listen to it with fresh ears and right. try to give an idea. And I think part of what turns me off on this isn't I don't think the performances are bad. I it's not I don't like that super tight style that they've got now. You know, I because think Eric Singer's super tight as a drummer. Well they're just they're they're dialed in. I, but you know, it seems like you know, I miss the uh, quality of the guitar tones from the classic stuff where it's basically one Marshall fed into the other, preempt into the other, and that's what you got. This is fed through a bank of God knows what, processing everything down where it just, it's like processed cheese. It's like, this is cheese whiz kiss. It's like, <laughs> you know, it's like, it doesn't feel like it's got any energy or spontaneity. No. There's no excitement here. Okay. It's played competently probably better than quote unquote better than the original band but it's just it just lacks any real sense of excitement and well i see what you mean there it sounds so, like a cover band i'm in a okay. similar boat on that sorry i mean to catch no, you no, off. no you're fine you're fine i was gonna say uh well where i was when i first heard material from alive three when i was becoming a kiss fan i was curious to hear what they sound like in the 80s playing songs like deuce and rock and roll all night uh they would play these tracks on radio station they would have a segment called the good night kiss that we would stay up and listen to when we were kids and they would play the 80s rock and roll all night and i can just remember just hearing the drum breaks that you know were so different from what peter was doing and uh, hearing the guitar solos that would be mildly different from what Ace. 80s version were they playing oh uh, not eight you know what i mean like the revenge tour it was oh, the live okay. three yeah 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 that was, but that was my first point, yeah. yeah but that was my first exposure to that era of like bruce kulik and eric singer and just not feeling you know even what though they were, we're in the 90s we still refer to this as i know the 80s after a minute yeah. i was like wait what bootleg 80s version where they play no, it's, no. Just, it's just because it's this is the 80s lineup even with Eric Singer even though we're in the middle though, of the 90s yeah, no, even though Eric Singer was never in the 80s no. he still looked at to me as but, part of that era and it's you know. But to your point about how uh, how great players that Bruce, as great as Bruce and Eric are there's just something about the vibe that just didn't con- uh, click with me at all when I heard these versions even though they are playing them tighter there are just moments like even today when I was watching some uh, live footage from the uh, uh, the club dates with Bruce Kulick, they he would go into the A solos, and I would say myself, <laughs> catch myself saying out loud, just boo. It, it, it doesn't have the same feel. Okay, well, real quick. So one of the one things you were talking about with, uh, with feel was you missed the sound of the original Marshall amps just getting plugged right. in, crank that, it up, and that's, and that's the tone you got. So if they got that tone with the Alive Three. Well, it's not plugged into a single. It's one if, Marshall fed into another. Okay. You couldn't do that even with the like the JCM 900s or 800s that they that's, reason. Then. That's fine. You know what? Uh, Bob Ezrin shows up that day and goes, you know what? No, for this live record, we're going to record it like we did back then, and these are the amps we're going to use. Would you have liked the record better? I don't know. That's what I'm saying. It's like, I was going to say, you, you have to get out of that production mind. That's the problem. I can't tell if it's just the production or if it's also because that was the industry norm. That, I, that I was really the standard. feel it's the production the that's messing it with that's you. That's why modern rock does not appeal to me after that point because it became so processed. The guitars don't sound good to me. I, I'll, I'll even, let's go out of timeline here. We'll go to the next, which we'll talk about on the next one. But when, when Anthrax covered she and I, my brother listened to it and he was going man that sounds great and i thought it sounded like dog shit it was like it sounded like it sounded like 
Wicked Lester, she played with a distorted guitar. It was it had yeah, no but, power, but you're, no but you're nothing. You're talking from a like, musician e- mind. E- you're, e- all you're, you're all you're listening to I is tone. I wasn't a musician. I'm just as a fan, even at that time. Right, but the thing you liked as a music fan was the guitar tone because again, you were still liking stuff like the MC5, where it was like guitar tone out the wazoo. You know, yeah, so well, that was the kind of stuff you were liking. So when you hear something like this, that is a lot more compressed and processed. You are a lot more quick to dismiss it. That's why I wanted well, to go. Yeah, that's, if if they had recorded exactly. it the classic way with this right. performance, I don't, know. I don't know. Because honestly, my only negative about this live record, and I liked it when I was younger, I don't like it now, mm-hmm. is singer does overdo it a little bit with the kick drum yes he does on, yes. on yeah. some well, of the songs uh, we, we, that's like all a four beats on a lot a, of songs that's a complaint that leads over to when he plays with alice cooper too. yeah that's so he, so alice he cooper. is a little extra on the kick yeah. but that's really my only negative because there are certain solos that bruce does classic wise that do not work but yeah. some of them do like uh, he did one like he did an alternate for rock and roll all night that eventually ace started playing like he kind of ripped off Bruce's alternate solo and kind of started implementing. Or when they started doing uh, "Lick It Up" the way they do it on a live three two with like the make the current incarnation of Kiss. Yeah. So well, so they really were doing some cool things, and I will say, man, especially listening to like some of the hot in the shade bootleg stuff right next to the Revenge bootleg. Singer does do a better job with the classic material than. Car did. Oh, uh, because okay, even yeah. because even okay. something like "I Stole Your Love," right. I remember listening to the, and I think it was also because Eric's head probably wasn't in it as much anymore, and he cars. wasn't feeling good. <laughs> yeah, Car, because Car's head wasn't in it as much anymore, and he also wasn't feeling good. I'm sure that also had something to play that. into it, I but. He he was a good heavy-handed drummer, but there's a certain swing He's that got he a just swing couldn't. that Eric Carr doesn't have. Exactly. Eric does have. I have that in my notes. I said this really gives Eric Singer a proper introduction, as the album has him on a cross section of material from all eras. Yeah. And I personally feel his style is better suited to the band than Eric Carr, and that's not the shit on Eric Carr. Not at again, all. You know, just. But I feel like I still feel like it's still it's probably still a little too ath- academic. I mean, which was, is well, we're talking about the extra kicks, all the extra little fills mm-hmm. and stuff, which kind of gives a sterility to it. But do we overanalyze it like that because we got such a street level performer in Peter from like the old and, days? Yeah, but that's also what, but that's the appeal of what we had to begin with. Yeah. And when you start altering that formula, it's like you know, it's like okay, we've had classic Coke for you know. 50 years and then all of a sudden there's new coke well it'd be like imagine you know, if john bonham had joined up with the ramones right it after would, tommy that left worked. john no. bonham as great of a drummer as he was wasn't going to work and i mean i don't think marky ramone was really as good as tommy was for the ramones but he's the ramones drummer you yeah. know it's just you know it's it's kind of moot but it, it you have your preferences yeah um I'm, I wouldn't say there's any uh, big think, reason to go through every one of these and dissect them. No, but, there uh, isn't. There isn't. But, but, but there, uh, to me, there's I'm, a I'm few. Using this on a broad scope of yeah. everything. Uh, to me, there's definitely a few highlights. <clears throat> um, one, to me, the definitive version of Heaven's on Fire. 
Yeah, I like, think it's like my if, favorite like one if, too. Like if someone was like, "Hey, put Heavens on Fire on," I would pick this version. I would too. Ooh, I know Russ is looking wait, at us like, "What's wait, wrong with wait, you guys?" No, my, my, my question is, who would say, "Hey, let's put Heavens on Fire"? You would be surprised. I, I, guess, I, know. <laughs> I would be like, "No, let's not. get out of my house." <laughs> <Let's not put laughs> but no, it, like out of the, I think this is a way stronger version than the studio one. I, I I think that this whole album is very strong, and and I think. You know, finally, throughout the 80s, it's like they're finally, It's and this is a horrible thing to say probably, it's like they're finally starting to gel. I know it. Which has taken them 10 years to gel as and, and feel comfortable as a as the non-makeup kiss. And I feel and like the it's irony because is, they is were... they're doing this while completely reflecting the classic makeup kiss. Uh-huh. And I think that's why they gelled again. And you know what? And in a weird way... And this also just comes from a dynamic standpoint. Eric Carr, he was the member throughout all of the 80s. Mm-hmm. Eric Singer was the first fan right. that had joined the band because he had talked about seeing them, you know, yeah. even at first that, album yeah, days. That probably says a lot, too, yeah. as to why he was able to kind of fit in so much better eric carr wasn't a fan of kiss he wasn't really a fan of hard rock i mean we talked about that in previous episodes his favorite was howard jones and he liked dance music and he came from a dance music background which is fine so singer was a fan from the early early 70s seen them in the 70s Mm -hmm. um this album was released on may 18th 1993 according to the notes that i have uh let's talk about the packaging because that's something I do remember compared to the previous two records. And, you know, this is part of an established, already an established everything, you yeah. know. And now you're coming in with three. What's with this this lackluster packaging? But to be fair, who really wants an Eric Singer lick and stick tattoo anyway? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's just I mean you know we can only say this but Man. from what I understand there's a lot of like typos and there's a kiss family tree that's like wrong yeah yeah <laughs> and, so I, I remember uh, so, okay so well to your point of, was this even released on vinyl <laughs> I was about to ask <laughs> All this right, is the CD so generation. Let's rewind a little bit. Uh, shout out to uh, one of our listeners, Jeff Williams. Yes, Revenge was released on vinyl. Okay, well, see what I, my I notes saw that said, too. I, I didn't know that because what what I was told, what I read was that you know, so my information was incorrect on that. No, and the thing was is when you said that, I completely agreed with you. I was like, yeah, no, Revenge wasn't on vinyl. And then I started sitting here thinking about. I was like, "Wait, well, I think I remember back in the day wanting to get it because I could only find old copies on vinyl." Man, Shit. Okay. What, we, what we ought to do is have a segment called "Corrections," but with a K and Kiss oh, Font. Look, well, I've stated this from the outset. We aren't experts here. True. <laughs> if you're looking for like gospel, you're they're listening to the wrong goddamn show. But right? yes, uh, it did get a vinyl release in um, the same date. Okay. So. Um, it peaks at number six, the well, first week of June, mm-hmm. which is it, it's almost it's following the same exact trajectory as Revenge a year prior. It drops out of the Hot 100 within a month, but is certified gold in October. But has largely this record's been overlooked ever since. It's mm-hmm. not exactly the you know the the debate is always which is better, Kiss Alive or Kiss Alive Two. It's never what's yeah, the better, Kiss Alive, Kiss Alive Two, or Kiss Alive, Kiss Alive Three, and even in the in the conversation, never you don't is. even think about it when you have that. When we talked about the previous, we didn't factor in. Oh well, you know, there's also a Live Three. 
Well, talking about the lackluster packaging, <laughs> um, honestly, I think because vinyl sales were so down in general, because this is mid nineties, right. who's really well, doing? So, how are you going to make a CD special? Right. Well, that's true. So, so even if the, even if this was a big reunion thing, I think you could figure out a way to do something. Okay, well, I've been trying when, to do that for years. Well, when now. the reunion happened, Ryko did did was doing like special CDs in that era, uh, Ryko disc, mm-hmm. and they had some kind of. Well, I mean, let, let's think packaging. about what Kiss actually did do. Uh, we don't need to do an episode on you wanted the best, you got the best. But that was a CD they released. Mm-hmm. What did they do? Okay, let's put it in neon packaging. Oh, yeah, Okay, yeah, yeah. Psycho yeah. Circus comes out. How are they going to make a CD special? Uh, we'll make the cover move a little bit. Yeah, 3D. Yeah, so no, not really. I don't There's think, I don't think they do, were doing, can... I don't think they were thinking that big anymore. I think after the 70s, they, well, I think about it, after the 70s, they weren't well, doing that's special my packaging. Point. That's the joke I made of who wants yeah, yeah, an Eric yeah. Singer's tattoo. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they could have still included maybe guitar picks. Yeah. They could that would have been cool. Would have been something they could have done, but I mean, it just it Black just picks seems red font. It, and they, you know, they do a lot of promotion around this period too. Um, I don't know that I have dates, and I don't know if I have all this in order. Um, we'll start with the Arsenio Hall show, which was a good spot to land at that time. But uh, they play. Do they play revenge songs? Do they play? I haven't watched no, this footage. They played Detroit Rock City and Deuce. Yeah, and it's tight and powerful. If again, a little lifeless to me. They, they're very. They're you know. I think there's a problem again. Bruce Killick is an excellent guitar player, an excellent musician, not a showman. No, and, you know. They we've talked about that. Bruce Kulick was the nickname. Yeah, and it's always I mean, they awkward even to watch it. him play. It's just. It just you know. I don't know, but they appear on Arsenio Hall, which is was a very highly rated late night talk show at the time. It was a for a minute was a serious threat to the Tonight Show, which is impossible to believe now. But there for a minute, it was the advent of the early Tonight Show. Yeah, as short as a, of a run as it had. And well, with yeah, and um, it does nothing for sales. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then Gene and Paul make an appearance on the Howard Stern TV show. So this pops up in my feed all the time, but I've I haven't watched it. I've watched this, this, is a, this, this is a couple times. This is a tough times. one to watch because he just ridicules them for half an hour, and they just sit there and take it, basically. Yeah. The, the only time they kind of bite back is uh, Howard was really kind of trying to stick him in a corner and phrasing something that happened with Eric Carr yeah, wrong. Yeah, they, they made jokes about Eric Carr. And, and that's the one time they kind of puffed up yeah, a little bit was, more. There, was, was, like, a, there Look, was a misunderstanding you, there, and that's mm-hmm. what they were trying to sort out. But the rest of it was, you know, Howard Stern had no respect or admiration for Kiss at all. No. <laughs> well, I mean, that was also part of his shtick. I know, but it just, it, it was an embarrassment. It was very embarrassing. Oh, wait, I, you it's know, been it's embarrassing any time Kiss members have been part of Howard Stern. Even the radio show. Like it's an embarrassment the, pretty much any time they do interviews. It's like Gene is hired on for Howard Period. anytime. <laughs> anytime Gene is hired on for Howard Stern, he's just poking fun at him. <laughs> it's just roasting him. Uh, the pair also make an appearance, Gene and Paul, as presenters at the American Music Awards. I don't have a date for this. They present the best new hard rock art. Uh, best new hard, hard rock, rock artist. Easy for me to say. Which was won by Stone Temple Pilots. Interesting. So it's kind of like a, you know, 
whether it was intended or not, it has this feeling of passing the torch. A little the old guard bit. to the new guard. I was just thinking that. Um, August 93, the Kiss Confidential is released. Yes. And you want to, you got stuff you want to talk about this because. Yeah, I think at this point we can kind of talk about Confidential and the stage show at the same time because at this point they get a brand new stage last stage was the stinks which they did recycle a little bit during the stinks, the stinks. The stinks. <laughs> uh which they did recycle a bit uh at the beginning of this tour right. uh yeah. overseas which one little interesting note was during the and this is the new shout to asphodel something i noticed being weird um during the hot in the shade tour when God of Thunder was being played, when Leon would open his mouth, he would use the, the I am the, the nickname of the Sphinx. In case anyone did not know, oh come on, it's a Kissner podcast, and they've gotten yeah. this far. Well, if they don't know, that, I don't think. <laughs> okay, when Leon the Sphinx. <laughs> yes, uh, when Leon opens his mouth, you see the little waves, right. and he says, "The I am right. the Lord right. of the Wasteland." Right. It's, it was always off time because it was like a pre-recorded like digital audio thing. Mm-hmm. This version is when you start having Gene's vocal coder right. changing it. But at the same time, the Sphinx would open up and you'd still hear. But Gene was the okay. one doing the I am okay. the Lord. So interesting tech thing. First time on this tour early on is when we start getting the vocoder do that they, we would see during the re- reunion era. Do they play that on the confidential video? On the confidential video, no. But oh. uh, every so often they would play God of Thunder during the set, which I found pretty interesting. Uh, but the confidential video uh, kind of was the... It's kind of messed up because to talk about Confidential, we have to reverse back just a little bit to the Hot in the Shade tour when they were recording um, Extreme uh, uh, Exposed Volume 2. Oh, Ex- which never got released. It never got released, but Exposed Volume 2 was going to be a little bit more tour diary where they were going right. to go on the road with Kiss, see them doing press, see the way the show looked. Which is basically what Confidential turned into. Yeah. So it just seemed like they recycled that idea a couple years long. I liked it because my favorite bits on it was like Eric. It was kind of like yeah. uh, Gene. I mean, uh, when, uh, when, I, when I brought James up earlier. Talking about, yeah. Eric and Gene just biting at each other. Like they are just shit talking each other left and yeah. right. Eric is the new guy and is already like, fuck you, Gene. Probably oh, like yeah. half the time. He, he was the new guy, but you could tell he was running the ship a little bit. Like Paul was like staying away from things. Bruce was still just, yeah, man in it. But Eric already had Gene around his finger was like, we're doing this. So like Gene is a fucking slob. Doesn't pick up after himself. Uh, just dressing him down. And Gene's just like, well, yeah, yeah, kind of. And when they talk about, you know, uh, how everybody's going to sleep, but Paul's playing like Super Mario Brothers. Yeah, Paul's just like, I'm playing Super Mario Brothers. (laughs) So it is just kind of that weird thing of like, wow, it's Paul playing video games and Gene mixing the cottage cheese and the jelly together and it pisses Eric off. And and like, yeah, so it's like, and you hear their reactions and like people from outside the room going like, oh no, you know, stuff like that. So it's like, it's probably the last time you see Kiss 
genuinely being kissed unguarded unguarded unscripted not thinking about themselves over and over there's a bit of it but there is a lot of kind of what they said a lot of confidential fly on the wall my question is kiss being kiss they worked so hard to protect and preserve this mystique once upon a time now they've gone almost like complete opposite other direction let the fans in was that really a wise decision on their part? Because I think I'm, this, I'm, I'm a very firm believer in less is more. You know what? I genuinely think if they had done the convention tour and that Alex guy uh, that was part of Coletti MTV or whatever Alex Coletti, is. yeah. If Alex Coletti had not been to one of those conventions, saw it, and went, hey, why don't you do an MTV Unplugged and get Ace and Peter back and do it? If that little conversation had not happened, I genuinely think they would have convention toured themselves to the end. Yeah, I don't know. That's a which, good point. Which, That's at this point... Now would be the time to start letting folks in. Now is the time to start telling the history. Yeah. Now's the time to release a really big book with all the old stuff. Now's well, the time to release a tribute album. This it, does feel like the wind down. Well, yeah. And, and and what's interesting to me is like if if that if that is at all in their head, which we don't know, we can only speculate. Pure speculation. But if it were, it seems like at least they're 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 designing it, whereas we, you know, we talked about uh, post uh, 88, 89, where it was very obvious they were like scrambling. And it seemed like, you know, the only thing that brought them out of it was that miraculous resurrection with a new record deal with a record label, which still boggles my brain. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, that seemed like to me the very the very closest they came to being over mm-hmm. more so than this time. But like I said, they might be seeing it as like, Oh, let's engineer this so we can go out with something. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, and not to jump ahead, but it's like, what did they do even as a press tour for the following years? All acoustic stuff. Anytime they did a press thing, anytime they did a performance, it was acoustic. Yeah, I think there was a part of that, though, that... um, And to me, that really says winding... I mean, yeah, they were talking with the trend because the the indie acoustic rock stuff was really big in that mid-90s era. So, yeah, they they were kind of looking at the trend at the same time. But also, I, I really think that... They pivoted well, after MTV Unplugged. Well, go, after Unplugged, they went, oh, shit, hold on. It might not be over. There's dollars. There's gold in those hills. Because because what did they do directly after that? Did Tried they, the album. They, were, they did a reunion. <laughs> well, well, that's well, what I'm saying. Uh, well, they did the reunion, but what did they do immediately after that? Well, they were well already let's in try the, a record. Well, they were already in the middle of that. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, now Which, it's we're, quote, getting, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but let's go yeah, back yeah, to yeah, this yeah, exposed yeah. or what? Excuse me, confidential, confidential video. Yeah, you were talking about the stage. Yeah, so the stage show this time around, we get Lady Liberty, uh, and like kind of like a, it's almost like like a apocalyptic escape from New York kind of. Yeah. And what did we say was also similar to that? The Destroyer stage show. Well, you know what this reminds me of, actually, to me, it's. It's and this goes to show that Kiss aren't leading their following, because this is only a couple of years after the uh, Injustice for All tour. 
That's right. Which had a very similar. The, they had the Lady Justice. Mm-hmm. With, and it, and, it and a lot of stage props. Apart, and, you know, the stage lights that fall and the whole. And I mean, this seems like a kind of a not very clever reimagining or just recycling really of that of so, that Metallica stage. Bruce is playing a, a white explorer <laughs> knockoff. So, <laughs> well so, man, you know what's messed up about that? So I like Metallica. Right. I don't research and obsess over them like I do Kiss. Right. It's kind of weird you mentioned that because I don't know where I can cite it from. But some, it was either Gene or Paul said something around that time period, them trying to out Metallica Metallica. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, well, that wasn't going to happen. No. no, it wasn't. But that's kind of an interesting choice of words now that you've kind of but, drawn that line between the two. So I wonder if that was something genuinely on their mind. Because think about what Metallica was doing at that time, too, is the load and reload stuff. So it wasn't no, like oh, no, heavy score. That. that. This is 93, so this would have been... They're still probably riding high off the Black, Black album. album. Okay, well, Garage also, yeah. The, that, that was 96. That... that the double CD yeah. thing, yeah, that was oh, okay. a collection of everything well, that was. So recorded they're still, they're up still, the, but they you know, uh, but that 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 Injustice for All tour had only been a couple of years prior. It was eighty nine, yeah. ninety. So you're seeing, you know, you're just seeing that it just seems yeah. logical that that's what it's coming from. So I think and that's also, I think fans are very cynical towards that. They're seeing that and going, oh well, we've seen this already. Well, you know what yeah. they haven't seen. Hmm. Local strippers on stage oh every <laughs> night during I Just Wanna. I guess. Well, or no, take it, take it off. Take it off. I yeah. guess we got to talk about that. Well, of course we have to talk about that. Now, um, preteen Alex watching oh, yeah, this yeah, on yeah, videotape, yeah, oh, yeah, I'm idea. sitting here going, they're living the fucking dream. Yeah. They're playing guitar. They're rocking out, and they got girls bouncing their boobies next to them. Mm-hmm. Oh, this is a fun. This is fun for the audience. This is fun for the band. Wow, how awesome it is to be in a rock and roll band. Thirty-year-old um, Alex rewatching these videos from a single cam without editing like you know bootleg versions because watching on confidential it's exciting all the cuts all the different women all the crowd cheering on confidential it looks fun and exciting you watch the bootleg we're out without cuts i know it. it's fucking and it's hilarious. just one single camera the entire time and you're taking it in as right, if you were right, there right Oh, it's so weird and awkward. You've just got this one girl half-assed lumbering around the stage, like acting like a dead fish almost. Just kind of like doing the wave during some spots. And she's like rubbing herself up against saying it's just like, this is weird. But wouldn't they just go around to just local strip clubs and just like pick whoever? I, I'm sure they had nothing to do with it. There was somebody that. Yeah, they had a guy. Yeah, no, Gene and Paul weren't going to the strip club going, hmm, Paul, you, they, you, they, you. They didn't. They never probably met the these girls before the show and probably didn't see him after right well was, gene well maybe yeah but who after. knows <laughs> i'm sure I, they're on st- yeah but like you were saying i can see them just kind of going like oh okay well she's whatever <laughs> but again just watching it now it's so awkward like it had to have been so weird. That's a band trying to be r- real hard to be motley Crue still or like trying they're to be trying one of these cool 80s bands as fuck in yeah. 1993, when yeah. this shit is so passe, I will I say, I will say, both the Hot in the Shade and Revenge era, Paul was finding any excuse to say the word fuck. Well, there's that uh, on the which LA is, Club show. How ten- are y'all 
fucking do it tonight. <laughs> and that's how you do it too. You would always like exemplify and, and this it is the same. This is the same group that, that fired Sammy Hagar for using the F word on stage in front of their fans in 1979. Or, uh, it's, it's just so... That's Again, that's why I was so cynical towards all this. It was so... It's like the difference between Kiss, the classic Kiss... In the in the in the eighties nineties kiss lowercase ISS yeah. mm-hmm. is it's all pose, but the kiss in classic kiss had a reason to be posed. It was all theatrical. It was over the top. The kiss without makeup, without theatrics, it's just a pose, and it just looks poser. Does that make sense? Especially yeah. when you see like one of these club dates where you see Paul in a uh, T-shirt that just says "fuck." Yeah, it's just and such, mesh on it's top so, of it. It's so convoluted and stupid, and I, I, can't, I keep coming back to the word "convoluted." I can't help it because it is. It's like it's like, come on, really? Now, okay. Let me also ask yeah. this. And, and, th- and not this is buying it is what I'm saying. Go ahead. Here, here's the problem. I buy it, unfortunately, mm-hmm. and this is what I think. If Gene and Paul, well, the whole band, if, if Kiss as a whole had not turned so flamboyant during the 80s, I feel like the way they looked in the 90s would have been more accepted and you and the fans like you wouldn't be looking at it being like, I don't buy it. And the only reason I say that is if you look at everything Kiss has done recently that's purely yes man material the only person saying no is doc mcgee everything with eric and tommy genuine like merchandise tour books ads everything looks like myrtle beach gift shop stuff Mm -hmm. right and they think it looks cool right they like it I genuinely think during the 90s, they looked at themselves and what you know what, we're being our true selves. I don't. I think they were trying to be rock and roll. I think they thought this is what the kids wanted to see. I think that that's what makes it so convoluted. It's like, it, it, you know, um, Aerosmith was very popular at that time. And Aerosmith didn't do anything to, I mean, they're, they're I, I I feel I, like they, I, were I, they were trying during the but, 80s, but, but and Aerosmith, now they were just going, fuck it. Aerosmith didn't try as hard, if that makes sense. I think and I agree like, with that. Less is more, oh, yeah, I and agree. they were far more successful. Uh, well, I, I, think, I don't like Aerosmith in that era, but... Um, well, I just think Kiss screwed themselves but between Kiss Lick It, lick it Up so, and Hot in the Shade. Well, I I still think Kiss was... there's Visually. No, yeah, I still think Kiss was like trying and like was, was really trying to put on a costume and really tried to get over with a younger audience and it shows with like the follow-up record and everything too with carnival of souls they're just trying to appeal to a new audience and to what's trendy at the time they're putting on a costume they're following it's my point is that they kiss in the 70s did their own thing and mm-hmm. by by default led where whereas now they're looking at what everyone else is doing and following suit yeah, well but, see i also in a weird way i kind of go by what they wear off stage to determine what they wear is like a costume or a trend or not. If you notice those behind the scenes photos of like Paul out on the town or something like that, he was never super neon. He was in like 
white button ups with a blazer and oh, yeah, jeans. They always no. wore, yeah, yeah they he always cleans up. up yeah. that thing. Jean just I, wears that, that stupid that, hat. That, well, that goes back to when we said look it up. That that cover shot of look mm-hmm. it up is what they should have looked like because that was well, that was their, their streetwear street even throughout yeah. the eighties. Right. As soon as the nineties hit, though, Paul that. was wearing like the skull, ba- like not skull, like yeah, design, well, but like yeah, those that thin but, over the top, the, the Hulk Hogan bandana. For real. The 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 not a do rag, not a bandana. The somewhere in the middle. I don't feel like putting. I don't like feel like wearing my extensions today. Yes, yes. So he was wearing a lot of that. Gene was wearing a lot of the black shirts with his leather pants. I mean, they were kind of wearing that stuff off stage. Yeah. So I, just, I feel like in their because per- you've seen like the I'm whole movie stuff. Whole, I feel like in personal time, if they wouldn't want to look like that, they wouldn't. I'm going to drive this to a point. Okay, sorry. This is cap. No, this caps off 1993. They do a performance on the Dick Clark's Nears Rock and Eve. Yep. A good spot to land. I was going to say, they've been uh, good with Dick Clark for a, throughout this, their entire career. This is where it really, and this this will extend, and we'll talk about this on the next episode, episode as well, but they just look awful. And it's not even the look that they're trying to achieve, but it's just the pancake makeup, and the fr- their hair is just frizzy, and it just looks like they're wearing like the cheap kind of crepe hair wigs that you'd buy at the Halloween store. Gene well, is. Gene's probably, Paul's I don't think wearing, Jean's wearing his a extensions. Wig. I think it's extensions, and I think Gene has plugs, but it just looks, they just look so fucking awful. What other show with three hetero males are you going to sit here and talk about <laughs> motherfuckers' <know>. hair? <laughs> well, they just look so bad, though. I mean, I'm just looking at it, like, even I'm like, it just looks bad, and they play a really lifeless just awful performances that and again uh, no all makeup songs Detroit Rock City they do a couple of passes for rock and roll night because I think it's all that airs I'm not sure yeah it was and they play making love which isn't played very well at all was, no I will say that that version was not very well, good. it oh, doesn't boy. lend to them and you know it's this whole era again it's widely regarded by fans as a comeback but Nothing reflects Not, this. No, this entire episode. It's the only thing been, that reflects that you could say, oh, you could point to and go, oh, that was really successful. Was the con- or the exposed, the exposed, or the extreme close up, extreme close up uh, videotape. There's too many X video many, titles. Well, that's because they have to be they have to be X rated because they got to be. They're edgy, bro. They're edgy kids. Oh, oh, and one more fun note from Confidential. So, you know, of course they are showing off all the, you know, women dancing on stage and this and the other. Randomly, in the middle of the video, they're talking about, you know, all the different groupies that'll come backstage after the shows and, you know, you want to touch them. She's doing the whole up one down the other. And then Paul mentions, oh, and we had the crusher the other week. And, and Eric was like, oh, you won't tell him about the Crusher? And Paul goes, yeah, the Crusher is a girl that can... And they immediately show the video clip where she puts an empty beer can yeah. between her tits oh my God, and, and just this. squeezes them. And the sound it even makes is just like... <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, wow. Some heavy-duty silicone. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's that was, what goes on backstage at the Kiss shows. I, I don't, I just never bought into any of that culture at all, that strip club thing, the whole thing. It just never, and again, you know. And it just I, sounds so, it looks it just, so forced. It looks so forced and phony to me, and that's why it was such a turnoff. It's like for poison, me but period. worse. <laughs> but they have a, you know, and part of it, 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 and the flip side is like, and I wasn't a big grunge fan 
you know, but this grunge thing certainly is permeated and percolated and now is exploding and taking over everything uh, and killing everything that was prior. So Poison, who were huge the years before, is no longer relevant. Molly Crew, no longer relevant. I mean, all Molly these bands. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So these bands, we talked about them selling 12 million copies of everything they put out and just having these huge stories that Kiss are like going, gee, I wish we were like that. But and now they're now sa- well, they're the punching bags. They're on Beavis and the irony. Now they're seeing that all this stuff is going up in smoke. It's played itself out because it was never really that relevant anyway. It wasn't going to have legs. It wasn't going to stand. And a lot of people would fight me on that, but that's okay. I'm right. They're wrong. Uh, (laughs) Grunge has taken over, kills everything. And what's the saving grace for Kiss? It's all these bands, these grunge bands, the Rising Tide, are all old school Kiss fans. Mm -hmm. Whether it's the Melvins or Nirvana or like all these bands. All of them. Doing covers on various records. It'd be kind of interesting to pull all these guys together and maybe do something. So just how to capitalize on that recognition. Yeah. And you know what? Not a lot of shows talk about that. Well, we will on the next episode of No Time to Turn. So hopefully you'll stick with us and uh, enjoy the ride as we will go into what's next. Gee, I can't even guess. (laughs) But we'll find out next time on No Time to Turn. Thank you for listening. Please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash somethinggoodnetwork.